Dear listeners, Sairam and greetings from Prashanti Nilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 24th July 2014 have a listen please offering a humble pranam to bhagwan's lotus feet dear listeners this is prem and arvind welcoming you to this week's episode of afternoon satsang as you know that we are in the middle of the beautiful story of lord rama as written by swami dramakatha rasavahini before we begin this week's satsang let us begin by remembering the most nectarous name of lord shri rama श्री राम राम रामे रमे रामे मनोरमे सहस्रनाम तत्ल्यम राम नाम वरानने offering our most humble pranams at the lotus feet of beloved swami and our prostrations to lord shri hanuman who is ever present during any discussion any story narration of the ramayana we continue the story where we had left off last week prem last week we had reached that point when rama has arrived at siddhashrama and at siddhashrama the preparations are on for a massive yagna which sage vishwamitra wants to conduct for world peace for samastha loka sukhino bhavantu rama now asks the sage he says o revered one we are ready to embark upon our duties as soon as you command when is it that you wish to do the yagna please let us know so that we can make preparations of our own sage vishwamitra replies saying that rama everything is ready it is in a kind of suspended animation everything is ready we just have to begin you do not realize how difficult it has been over the past few weeks and months whenever we start off the yagna we have these rakshasas and demons the evil forces coming in and ruining the whole yagna when we least expect them and once again after they ruin everything and they are gone we prepare it's not as if we have not been patient we prepare once again we start everything from scratch and when we are ready we again begin the yagna again it happens it has happened repeatedly and therefore this time we have kept everything in readiness and we have waited for your arrival before we can start the yagna and lord rama says definitely go ahead and start the yagna we are also ready from this moment onwards and you know as the yagna is about to begin because there is some sanskrit <laughs> blessing which says all the good things must be done immediately i know of that hindi saying of course ha uh-huh. kal kare so aaj kare aaj kare so ab yes 
so this is a kind of blessings that uh, okay. elders confer onto the youngsters saying that you know when you go with any good news they say let it happen immediately mm-hmm. because i think it is shubhamastu shigram or something like that that mm-hmm. when it happens let the good things happen immediately mm-hmm. that is what happens at this ashram also so and as they are preparing rama and lakshmana also do their own preparations they go about inquiring as to when is the probable time that these demons and rakshasas attack so all the sages and saints and the hermits and the other disciples who are there at siddhashrama they give their own different info and what rama and lakshmana gather is that there is nothing like a fixed time when they attack rama notices that these rakshasas seem to attack at any time and especially at a time when it's least expected when everybody is low on their guard and when they least expect it invariably that is the time they attack so as long as they are on their guard the demons are not attacking even for a moment they drop the guard the demons attack the ramayana in itself is such a huge metaphor this i feel is another beautiful message which teaches us what uh, swami used to often say in his discourses tasmat jagrata jagrata always be aware always be alert because you never know when the evil forces actually overpower the good forces in fact even before all this i would just like to go back a bit mm. when they first come to siddhashrama and uh, i think lord rama is asking what is this place and it's so peaceful mm. the very entry into this region makes you calm down so that's when uh, Vishwamitra gives the history of Siddhashrama. He says that, you know, this is a very holy spot and whoever sits here and meditates mm-hmm. has achieved their goal. And he says one of the foremost sages to have won his realization here was Sage Kashyapa. And he says after that, I have taken you know, residence in this ashram and I am doing this yagna. And uh, Vishwamitra very beautifully, he says that this ashram henceforth is as much yours, Rama, as it is mine. You know, there's a very beautiful episode which happens in Mahabharata, just a parallel here. When Krishna comes to the Hastinapura as a messenger of peace, okay. the Kauravas are making a mega plan, you know, to give him a big hospitality, a bash, and so that he gets obligated to the host who gives you so much, and who showers you on so many gifts. And that was the idea which Shakuni and uh, Duryodhana have, that, you know, we'll host him very lavishly, and then he will be in a kind of a obligated situation, and he cannot say anything which will harm the host. Mm-hmm. But when Krishna comes to the court and then uh, Duryodhana says that this palace has been kept in readiness for you and uh, you can come and stay in it. So uh, Krishna says, no, I have chosen to stay with Vidura. I have come as a messenger, I will stay with Vidura. And there is a beautiful incident which happens before Krishna says that I will stay with Vidura. You know? When Krishna enters Hastinapura, he is actually escorted by Vidura. And it seems he is taken around the entire city and it apparently is the first time Krishna is actually coming to Hastinapura. Okay. He is always you know, met Kauravas and Pandavas in Indraprastha and the other places, never in Hastinapura. So when he comes, Vidura actually takes him around and he says, that, you know, see, these are the various palaces. This is the palace of Dhrashtra, this is the palace of Duryodhana, this is this brother's palace, this is Shakuni's palace. And each palace has been named like that. And in the midst of all these extravagant dwelling places, there's one very, very humble looking house. And Krishna says, no, whose is this? And that apparently is Vidura's house. And Vidura puts his hands together and he says, Krishna, that is your house. Mm. You know, in, in submission. And Krishna says, so I didn't know that I have a house in Hastinapura so every time I come I have to stay here and you know that is the kind of sentiment which is shown even here you know in every stage Swami is saying that how much Vishwamitra was waiting for this moment when how readily he gave all his you know the fruits of all his penance how readily he gave all the weapons he has you know harnessed over the many decades of his penance and now even the ashram he says that this is also yours this is as much yours as mine you know there is a beautiful blend of subtle learning at the same time that emotion of devotion which is also so embedded as you say 
saying that that aspect of tasma jagrata jagrata which Ami says and you would see that that inner meaning is there in so many aspects and so many incidents which happen in the Ramayana but also the fact that when you are in the presence of divine what should be the state of your mind what should be the readiness you know the way you offer yourself the way you offer your service what should be the emotion behind it even that is also Swami's in bringing out in all this and the description of Siddhashrama as you know as Vishwamitra says that this is a perfect place for anybody to practice their sadhana it gives another insight about the holy places of worship whether it's a temple a church or mosque Prashantinilium where people gather together there is this line of reasoning which says why should you go in search of God anywhere when God is within wherever you are God is now this is true in the ultimate sense and if we are able to appreciate the beauty of this truth and realize it fantastic but since we are all beginners on the spiritual path we definitely see a difference in the feelings that come within us and the kind of energy that we get positive energy when we go to specific places of worship recently I had been to the Himalayas Mm -hmm. and in the Himalayas when you go to say either Patal Bhuvaneshwar it's a cave underground cave supposed to be of great you know mystic and spiritual charm or you go to some other temple or when you go on Chardham Badrinath Kedarnath there are huge swelling crowds and there are people jostling at times and yet you feel some kind of magic in those places and I feel that is because when you have a particular place where thousands and thousands of people have poured in their love and devotion and have sought the divine at that particular spot all those vibes and vibrations and feelings they add to the aura and ambience of the place and that is why particular places become pilgrimage places pilgrimage spots and that is the reason though God is everywhere we undertake these pilgrimages because we want to enter that ambience or that aura of divinity and spirituality it's like Swami says Satsangati Satsanga where you spend time keep good company Swami says so while choosing good friends is keeping good company at the gross physical level being in these places spiritual places of worship or pilgrimage spots is a subtle way of keeping good company and that is why Siddhashrama is also praised because it is one such place where a lot of people have done penance and therefore it is vibrant with their spiritual vibrations you know a couple of my uh, friends they had gone to Pandharpur for Mm. Darshan and there is that I think a small pond which is called Chandrabhaga or something Chandrabhaga is a river that flows there okay it's traditional that you go there have your dip dip, and then you go to the shrine and have the darshan of Vithala and you know those boys were recollecting when they were doing that the very thought that this was this very same thing Tukaram did this was the very same thing Namdev did this was the very same thing Sakubai did and all those saints came and did the same dip and walked through that same lane and went to the you know shrine of Vithala you know that energy is there coming to think of it I mean even just sometime back when I was just taking a walk in the morning when I was walking through that main road where our hostel is and you know the indoor stadium is I was really filled with that joy and you know that recollection how many thousand times Swami would have gone past that road how many thousand people would have stood on that road to have one glimpse of Swami and it's nothing short of historic and at the same time it's unbeatable if you look at it from the point of view of the vibrations that place has and that is what this whole you know town of Puttaparthi is filled with the other day this Sunday I was in the Kulvanth Hall you know on those 
occasions when I go to Kulwant Hall for the bhajans, sometimes that urge comes. It happens that because we are daily living here, it becomes part of a routine and therefore I must confess like how I used to run twice a day to Kulwant Hall when Bhagwan was physically present here. I don't do that anymore. But I go to Kulwant Hall and when I go to the Kulwant Hall also, it is not that every time I go to Kulwant Hall at the end of the session, I walk up to the Samadhi to offer prostrations. Mm-hmm. It is not because I lack reverence or anything. I have the greatest regard and respect. But even as I was sitting, as I said, this Sunday, for example, when I was sitting for bhajans, my head automatically turned to the right to the lady's side and I was thinking, oh God, see, from there Swami would come walking. And then as I pictured Swami coming for darshan, I realized that that square foot of marble right in front of me has itself had Swami walking on it innumerable number of times. So, you know, touching that itself and at that time, you know, this uh, bhajan also began Mahadeva Maheshwara and as that bhajan began tears began to flow down my cheeks automatically because I was thinking oh god Swami you know the song is so beautiful you are thinking of Swami and right in front of you is a spot on which at least a thousand times Swami has walked and that is true about many spots in the Sai Kulwanthal itself when you enjoy that experience you don't feel that need to actually go to the Mahasamadhi because you go to the Mahasamadhi area to get these vibes and I feel Kulwant Hall is so beautiful that anywhere you get those vibes because every inch of the hall Swami has physically walked and coming back to Siddhashrama that is a speciality of these pilgrimage places that is why it is said that though God is present everywhere we will benefit because we have not reached the ultimate and therefore we are able to enjoy these pilgrimage places it's like dig anywhere in the earth you will get water deep down but we still enjoy going to a river or going to the beach where water is available on the surface itself in abundance of course we can get water by digging deep anywhere on the earth yet we travel to the rivers right in the same way God is available everywhere every time yet there is some magic about pilgrimage spots and places like Siddhashrama and there is also a concept which Swami talks about much later maybe we will play a clip of Swami when that part of the story comes but Swami would often use that word called Stalaprabhava mm. or the influence the place has on the on the mind of people who walk past or who live in that place and that's a very important thing Swami says about how the negative influence of that place also you know has a bearing on the human mind but these are all places where you know people talk of energy, people talk about vibrations being very good there. Honestly, I, I mean I'm not somebody who can feel that vibration of the energy. But for me, the thing is, you know, there are some places where you effortlessly think of Swami. Mm. There are some places where you know, to remember Swami and to go into that feeling of uh, gratitude and love is so easy. And I feel those are the places which have the best vibrations. And you know, you can feel that when you just walk into the boundaries of Puttaparthi. Forget the ashram, forget the Kulwant Hall. You know, the very first signboard you see there, you know, welcome to the devotees of Bhagavan Shri or you feel like, yes, you're there, you know, where it matters. You know, what you have said is a very, very practical point. I remember last year there was this IPL cricket match, a short version of the cricket game. It was in Bangalore and we bought tickets and went there. At the end of that match, when I was walking out and uh, we reached home, a thought just struck me, you know. How many times did I think of Swami during the match? It's like that famous story of Priyatam. Priyatam meaning who is the dearest one? When Narada asks Vishnu, Vishnu says that farmer is the dearest one to me. And when Narada goes and sees, at the beginning of the day, in the afternoon and in the evening, once, the farmer takes the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And Narada says, Lord, he's taking your name only thrice a day. I take your name incessantly throughout the day. 
Then Vishnu says, can you do one small favor for me? What is it? Here is this pot of oil. Carry this around the world and come back. And he says, be careful Narada. I will be upset and hurt even if one drop of oil falls off. So Narada carries it with all the care. Goes around the world and comes back and says, Lord, I have done it. And Vishnu says, Narada, now during this entire tour that you did, how many times did you think of me? Then Narada says, Lord, I could not think of you at all. All my attention was completely on ensuring that the oil doesn't fall. So he says, so Narada, you know, when you are actually job when you are, <laughs> we are not not having any work at hand. It is easier to think of the Lord when you have so much work. In spite of being so busy, if you are able to spare some thought for the Lord, that is very special. That is why that farmer is dear to me because he is engaged in hard work from morning till evening. Even then, amidst all that, he is able to remember me. So you know, taking a slight different direction from the story, when we go to certain places, I don't know. It happens to me. You know, for example, when I go to a movie theater. Again, it depends on the kind of movie. But most of the movies, they're fun, they're exciting, they're thrilling and they're not in any sense very negative. But at the end of the whole thing, you would not have remembered Swami. I remember once when some of my friends, when I had gone home for vacation, they said, let's visit a mall. This is what we'll do this weekend. It'll be fun. So I said, okay, let's go to a mall. When I went to the mall, I felt so, you know, bored. Mm -hmm. Nothing. It's not as if we splurged and wasted money. Most of the time, we were just window shopping. We had very good food to eat. We spent 5-6 hours in the mall, went all around, just saw everything, came back. The same thing on another weekend, we went out, you know, say, to a place which is very close to the sea. Mm -hmm. Again, we did nothing there, you know, we just spent time walking around, just eating some food. Same things we did. And yet, a visit to the sea felt so much more beautiful because, as you said, it reminded me of Swami. When I was on the seashore, at least on 6-7 points in time, I remembered Swami, which I did not do when I was in the mall or when I was in this cricket match. So, it is the same me, it's just that there is something special about that place which automatically arouses. So, while I am not like that farmer who puts in special effort and really remembers the Lord, manages to remember the Lord, in some places without me putting effort as you said, I am able to remember Swami and in other places it just doesn't occur. After I return and I think, oh yeah, correct, I have never thought of Swami when I went there. I feel this is a very nice rule of the thumb or a way for us to automatically choose satsangati in terms of the places we visit, which is a good place to visit, which is not such a good place, not a useful place. Any place that automatically arouses in us feelings of love, gratitude, God, divinity, those are the places I think we should visit more and more often. When Swami was giving an interview to a passing out batch of MBA students, there's always a few boys in the class who wish to stay back and serve Swami in his organizations, but most of them are looking to take up their careers outside. Hmm. So Swami was talking to this group and Swami gave a word of caution. He said when you go out and you take up a job, Swami said you are mine, you are my property and whenever you think of me, wherever you call out to me, I'll come to you, to your rescue. You are in your job, you have some problem, when you call out to me once, I'll come to you. Then Swami said, but those of you who are staying back here, I have given you all the preconditions for you to think of me all day long. Hmm. I will come to you only if you think of me all day long. Swami said, I have given you all the necessary surroundings and environment for that, so you better think of me all day long. Hmm. Just to make it a little larger, Swami would often make that statement, to whom much is given, much is expected. I think as devotees, we all have been fortunate to have Swami enter into our life, which means that much more is our you know, onus to think of Swami and to remember Swami. The more you have spent 
to Swami, let us all remember that that much more we have to keep thinking of Swami. That much more we have to give mind space to Swami. Mind space and heart space. And heart space, of course. Mm-hmm. And how often we turn to Swami in pain and pleasure. Pleasure, that is an important thing. Right, and I think that is something which we all have to remember because otherwise the greatest gift can be the greatest gift wasted. You know, the mistake you do will be as large as the fortune that you want. Getting back to the story, so Rama and Lakshmana take their guard and they know that they have to be alert day in and day out. This yagna, I guess, goes on for a week. Yes, actually, Swami writes, they keep vigil for five days and five nights. Yes, five days and five nights. That is before the demons attack. The yagna, I think, is supposed to be for a week long. So, it is on the sixth day, Swami writes that the skies turn red. All the materials that have been placed to be offered to the sacrificial fire, to the yagna, they catch fire outside the yagna kunda itself mm-hmm. and it starts raining blood and all other defiling materials. That is when no one needs any confirmation. You know that the demons have arrived. But this time, the demons are in for a shock because Rama and Lakshmana are on high alert and Rama at first discharges the Manasa arrow, the Manasa missile and there are two leaders of these Rakshasa hordes. One is Maricha, the other is Subahu and the Manasa arrow hits Maricha, the leader and it carries him across lands, throws him far away into the Indian Ocean, it is said. So just imagine this is somewhere in the middle of the Indian subcontinent and Maricha is thrown. So Manasa missile is in all probability is an intercontinental ballistic missile. (laughs) So it throws Maricha into the ocean and the Agnayastra that we spoke about last week, Rama uses it on Subahu and his whole body starts burning and he is also, though not thrown, he himself rushes and dives into the same ocean because he wants to cool his body and mind and everything that is being burnt by Rama's weapons. And Lakshmana then tells his brother that, you know, this is no time for mercy. These are evil ones intent on destroying goodness and nobility. So the greatest compassion we can shower on them is to kill them, send them to the abode of Yama. And thus, both the brothers start fighting valiantly and start demoralizing and demolishing the demons one after another. I think that is the episode where uh, they all complete that thing and the task for which they have come is completed. Exactly. And uh, Swami describes how Rama and Lakshman are actually on their own because Vishwamitra is so lost in that yajna, nobody is even able to draw his attention away from what he is doing. So they were absolutely on their own and after everything is completed, after the final offering is made, Vishwamitra comes to Rama and Lakshman to thank them and to shower his grace on them in quotes <laughs> <laughs> actually he prepares a special place of residence for Rama and Lakshmana and allows them to you know take, take rest. rest they have not slept for so many days you know we don't sleep for one day we get jet lagged and all this happens you know in travel long distances jet lag happens or if you don't sleep one night it affects you over the whole week right. the whole week goes bad so imagine Rama and Lakshmana have not slept for five days and five nights in a row and so they sleep and Swami writes that they sleep on for a long time and Vishwamitra also gives special instructions that you know no noise should be made nearby and there are people to ensure that nobody disturbs the princess as they sleep and after a long rest Rama and Lakshmana I mean Swami doesn't exactly write how many days they sleep <laughs> but after a long rest they get up and they're refreshed and then they go to Vishwamitra and say is there anything else that we can do for you and Vishwamitra says no no he tells that I don't know how to express my gratitude to you because the way you are protected the Siddhashrama we could complete our austerity and that is what Rama has come for that is what Swami has come for that is what Krishna has come for Paritranaya Sadhunam Vinashaya Chadushkritam to protect the virtuous and holy and to destroy the evil so you know 
it's almost as if Rama says, no, no mention, no problem. This is what is my duty, my divine duty. That is what I have done. And sire, if you are happy, if you are contented that all is well and everything is done, we seek your permission so that we go back to our father. That is when Vishwamitra says, no, no, here is something that I have to tell you. We have received some news. When that conversation is happening, hmm. one of the messengers comes in with a palm leaf, which is something like an invite from one of the kings. And Vishwamitra opens it and realizes that it's an invitation from King Janaka, the king of Mithila, who is performing a yajna and is very uh, humbly requesting the presence of Vishwamitra and his disciples. And that's when exactly this whole conversation happens. And The grandeur of any yajna, apart from the yajna itself, is also determined by those who are attending the yajna. So in those days, all the grand yajnas, the kings would plan in such a manner so that they will have the participation of all these great sages. It's like, you know, if you want to have a grand musical concert, you want to involve as many great musicians as possible in the concert. Though it is music that is supreme, the musicians also add to the overall impact. In the same way, though it is yagna that is supreme, the people participating in the yagna also add to the yagna. And therefore, the sages and ascetics and saints, they belong to no single kingdom. So, when Ayodhya does the yagna, they invite. When Mithila does the yagna, they invite. So, since Vishwamitra is a great sage with great credentials, he has received this invite from the king of Mithila, King Janaka. And the yagna is scheduled at a date such that Vishwamitra cannot travel to Ayodhya and then get back to Mithila. As promised to Dashrata, basically. Because when uh, Dashrata lets go the princess, he says that, Master, I am entrusting them in your care and I hope you will take good care of them and bring them back safely. Vishwamitra gives a word that I will personally come and hand them over to you. You don't have to worry. And that is precisely... That is, right, that's a predicament he's left in because he doesn't have time now to go to Ayodhya, drop the two princes and then come back to attend the Yagna and Mithila. And that is the answer that even Vishwamitra gives to Rama. Rama says, Guru, see, my father said that we have to vanquish these demons and protect the yagna and ensure its happy and safe conduct that we have done. So, my father did not tell me anything about having to go to a yagna or anything. So, I don't think it is right for me to do this without his explicit permission. So, please allow us to return. That is when Vishwamitra tells that, you know, your father, he told you not only about protecting the yagna, he also told you, do whatever that the sage Vishwamitra says, right? Yes, Rama has to agree to that. So he says, he told me that these are my tender children. I am allowing them to go on such a huge task. I am really fearful. And I had assured him saying that don't worry, I will not let them out of my sight even for a moment. In fact, after the task is done, which I assure you will be done, I will personally come and drop them here. And therefore, I will not be able to keep up my word to the king if I let you go on your own. And since the king has told you that you should follow the words of Vishwamitra, my words are that let us go attend the yagna. The yagna is going to be very, very special. And Vishwamitra says why it is special later on. He says, so we attend the yagna. And after that, we go back to Ayodhya and I shall drop you back there. And I think that is a proposal finally even Lord Rama agrees to. And again, every point, Swami puts the words in such a way that you understand that Rama was only eliciting an explanation from Vishwamitra, but there was no doubt. He says that definitely I have to follow whatever you say. That's what my father has commanded me. So I will do whatever you say. But I just wanted to put forth my prayer. I just wanted to put forth my apprehension. That's what uh, Rama says. 
happiness and then comes the enticements which Vishwamitra puts in front of Rama. He says, why else we should visit Mithila? And then he talks about this very auspicious bow which is in the possession of Janaka. Yes. I think Prem, we will talk about the bow after we take a little break. So dear listeners, hope that the enticements that Vishwamitra gave to Rama will also act as enticements for you to wait on for these few minutes as we take a quick break and come back to continue on this beautiful story of Lord Sri Rama. Sundaranamo Sundaranamo 
After that song, we are in that point where the invite from Mithila from King Janaka, Emperor Janaka has come and Vishwamitra is trying to explain to Rama that there are more reasons than that Yagnam why visiting Mithila is a very exciting proposition. And that is when he talks about that auspicious Shiva Dhanush. Actually, you know, if you see, there are more than one reasons. Mm-hmm. There is only one reason which Vishwamitra explains. The other reason is silent, I think, because it's part of a master plan, which I'm sure both Vishwamitra and Rama are aware of, but Vishwamitra doesn't state it. The truth that Lord Rama is to get married to Mother Sita. That is actually one of the primary reasons and the important reason, but that is never stated. Instead, another side reason is stated as an incentive. Yes, the Shiva Dhanush. And of course, in fact, even before they start, even Vasishta Hin said that when he's mm. trying to explain to Dashrata, he says, you have no idea what an important expedition this is. Mm. This is the next stage in the avatarhood, literally. And just coming back to the Shiva Dhanush, and he says that there is this bow in the possession of Janaka, which is really worthy of all the worship and Janaka gives it and he is kept it in a special altar and he worships it every day and he explains that one of the ancestors of Janaka a king by name Devaratha supposed to be a very pious and righteous king he once did a very elaborate yagna it's supposed to be one of its kind and it's supposed to bestow on the person who does it 
immense spiritual benefits. And the gods were so pleased with him and they come and give him this bow of Shiva. Shiva Dhanush literally, that's what it means. Mm. And that is like the boon which is given to him in the end of that yajna. And the speciality of this bow is, it needs not less than 300 able-bodied men to move it even. And that was the speciality of this. And uh, there is that one scene which happens in the childhood of Sita, the princess of Mithila. Apparently, when she's playing with her friends, the ball goes behind the vehicle place. in, which, right, in the which the bow has been placed. placed. Okay. And she comes and moves it to, to retrieve right, the, the ball. And <laughs> she just pushes it with her left hand and takes it out. And apparently, that moment, Janaka sees this. And that's when he realizes that this is no ordinary girl and she should not be given in marriage to an ordinary mortal. Hmm. So he said that anybody who weds this girl should be able to, you know, have that power to manipulate this bow or you know, use move. this bow, move mm-hmm. this bow. But then that is when Janaka realizes that there is hardly anybody who can even lift this bow. And so this yagna is actually an excuse to not only get all the holy and saintly people to the kingdom, but also to find a perfect groom for Sita. But this is something that, dear listeners, we are telling you. This is not something that Vishwamitra tells Rama. It is not even mentioned in the part of that story. Yeah, Ra- he tells Rama only this much that this is a very, very special bow. And it is said that no Kshatriya is able to wield the bow. And since I have great confidence in you, you are a very, very special prince. Rama, I wish that you have a look at this bow. And you must definitely try to lift the bow. You know, you definitely try to handle it. I feel you will be able to handle it. This is all the hint that Vishwamitra gives Rama. And, you know, every person according to their aptitudes have mm-hmm. their weaknesses you know and we know that in the olden times though it is misunderstood the caste system was based on aptitudes a person is a kshatriya if he has the aptitude to learn wielding weapons and riding horse riding and all that so Rama and Lakshmana are kshatriyas and this is something that is irresistible imagine if you tell an ace forward player someone like Lionel Messi and you tell him that here is a goalpost through which however good you kick even though there is no goalkeeper a goal will never be scored I mean it will just set his foot itching to try there so that is the kind of incentive that Lord Rama gets when he hears about a bow which no Kshatriya can wield what do you mean so he is very very eager and enthusiastic about the bow and Vishwamitra smiles to himself knowing that the job is done (laughs) and I think that's when the disciples of Vishwamitra are told that the entire ashram is going to hit towards Mithila. Mm. And so they all come with that, you know, you have been living in a hermitage for so many years and maybe even decades and now it's the time to move out of it. So all kinds of questions, who's going to stay back, who's going to take care of the ashram, mm. what about the rites and rituals of the ashram, the, you know, the worships which were going on, who's going to continue it. And I'm reminded of the days when Swami used to leave for Kodai Canal. This used to be a very, very constant uh, worry. Mm. And again, I'm taking a small little detour but I think it's beautiful. First of all, during the vacations, very few people stay back. Very few people or at least say half of the people leave so other half only stays back. In that summer, in during the vacations when Swami is there, also the crowds are reduced because of the extreme weather conditions and because it's vacation time. Now imagine when Swami leaves for Kodakinal, there will be hardly anybody left. So the question then is who will carry on the Veda chanting, who will carry on the bhajan singing in Swami's physical absence. And I remember that you know, these were in the recent times. In the early years when there were hardly anybody, whenever Swami used to leave almost everything would stop in Prashantinilyam. Yeah, Prashantinilyam had just come up. That was when, you know, I think Sheshigiri Rao, who was the first priest of Prashantinilyam, mm-hmm. he used to stay back most of the times and he would carry on everything. And there is this beautiful incident where they say there was a point in time when Sheshigiri Rao was all alone and Swami was not in town and his entourage had left and there was nobody almost in Prashantinilyam. So, in the evening, when he had to do Aarti, he would wonder as to how he can wave the camphor and ring the bell at 
the same time today when we see you know in the ashram the bell is located a good 100 meters away from the place where the aarti is done right maybe it was not that far then but definitely they were not located at the same place so every day what sheshigiri rao garu would do is he will wave the camphor for some time set down the plate run to the bell ring the bell and then come back and wave the camphor again on one occasion when he was waving the camphor and he thought oh yes the last person who was there he has also left now so now i have to go to ring the bell even as he thought that the bell started ringing mm-hmm. so he felt happy oh ho either he has not left or somebody has come good good that i can you know stand and i need not exert myself with this running up and down so he completes the aarti he comes out and he sees there's nobody there so he thinks okay maybe he has gone home when swami returns that is when he tells sheshigiri rao that look because you had to do aarti successfully you made me ring bell for my own aarti <laughs> that was how swami let him know that he was ringing the bell when he was performing the aarti these are the beautiful things that we get from swami writing the ramakatha when you read these these are not there in valmiki's ramayana at the same time when you read these you realize that yes of course these are the kind of questions that might have arisen in anybody's mind and therefore when you can totally understand and empathize with all the disciples of vishwamitra because they come to vishwamitra and ask guru how long will you be gone or who all are coming with you and he says all of you are coming oh if all of us are coming we need to at least have one or two people staying back at siddhashrama right to take care of siddhashrama so the guru says why why should anyone take care of siddhashrama rama has already taken care of it he has vanquished all the demons nobody will come and create any mess over here no not that way guru you know when when you return things have to be ready right there should be some hot water there should be some food cooked place has to be maintained that way that is when you know vishwamitra gives a hint he says when you are not sure of what is going to happen the next moment how can you be sure that i am going to return here and that is what you know worries all the disciples they say guru how can you how can you give up siddhashrama you know as i was reading this part i felt these are exactly the kind of feelings i had when swami took mahasamadhi swami how can you leave it's not about leaving prashant so me how can you leave but you know i think there is something about the realized soul and god their way of functioning the same and vishwamitra continues to say that it is inevitable and he also announces his decision to those disciples saying that i will not be coming back to siddhashrama again you know one thing which you would see in the characters of ramayana throughout you know there are two sets of characters mm. two types of characters who behave in completely different ways when they got this knowledge that here is divinity manifest and this is something which we will see even in swami's life even among swami's devotees one set was like vishwamitra who were beginning to give up everything they did because they now felt that now i know i have seen the lord it is like the culmination of whatever they've done it's like the you know fructification of all that they've done and that's why vishwamitra was you know in a sense unburdening himself of all that he had achieved all that he had earned that was one set and that is what you will see much later in characters like shabri you know those who felt that i don't need to live anymore i have seen lord rama and the other set of devotees is like lord hanuman who is with us now who said that now i have found my lord whatever i do i should do it only for him i should live for him now it starts now it starts and whatever i do and you know that's when you become more vigorous in whatever you do you become a devotee and then you become a seeker you become a sadhaka i think even with swami there were so many like that there are so many who came to swami and who chose to give up their life after coming to swami you know there is that story of the little girl we went through when we were doing the satyam shyam sundaram i think her name was manjula exactly at 8 year old you know at the age of 8 she came to swami and said swami i want moksha and swami did oblige too in a matter of few weeks i think she passed away after that there were devotees like that who came to swami and said swami my life is fulfilled and there were others i think we come in that category we came to swami and said swami i want to do more i want to be now, with you now our life begins right and the only thing we can do is fill this life with you i think that is something which we will see throughout the ramayana where there will be characters who choose either that way or this way and so, i think both
both are ways of sanctifying your life. So for some, meeting the Lord is the beginning of the end. For the others, it is the end of the beginning. Yeah, very well put. I think it's beautiful. So, exactly. So, Vishwamitra tells his disciples that I am leaving Siddhashama for good. You know, he doesn't state the reason that I have found my Lord Rama, but it's very obvious. And so, many of the disciples too decide that without the Guru, an ashrama is no ashrama. And in fact, you know, Vishwamitra explains to them. He says, what is the meaning of ashrama? Ashrama is a place which relieves you of all the shrama, which is burdens. This apparently on the face of it looks like a contradictory statement. Mm -hmm. Because when you go to an ashram, you are expected to do your own things. You sweep your own room, you clean your own place, you maintain your things, you wash your own clothes, you cook your own food, which you you might not have done had you been staying at home or had you been leading life elsewhere. So how can ashrama be a place where you get rest? That is where, you know, the inner meaning which will become very evident and obvious for anybody who even has an inkling of spirituality that this rest is not the physical rest. The body might be put to great strain and exertion but you will be at peace within and that is the rest that the ashrama gives. And so Vishwamitra says that this ashrama doesn't become an ashrama because of the ashramites. It is because of its ability and nature to give this feeling of peace and serenity which it will continue to do so. The peace and serenity was being destroyed by the demon and those demons have been dealt with by Lord Rama. So it doesn't depend on our staying here for it to be called the Siddhashram or to remain the Siddhashram. You know, we may come and go but the Ashram will remain. So you need not worry about any such things. And that is when all the disciples also get convinced and they decide to follow their Guru and they pack up completely. You know, they ask actually, how much should we pack up? You know, if we are off for a month then we need materials for our offerings and our rituals for one month. But it's indefinite and so each one according to his own level of understanding and level of growth makes arrangements and packs. Again, this I felt is a very beautiful point because that is what our state is in life. Let's face it, Prem, none of us have no idea when we are going to leave. And we are in this world gathering our little bit of real estate, our money, our wealth, our relationships, our positions, our career. We are gathering all this, assuming that we will need it over the next 50 years. But we don't know whether we will be living for the next 50 days or the next 50 minutes. In fact, just yesterday, very wonderful gentleman, an artist who used to help a lot in studio work, you know, a professional artist, we suddenly got the news that he passed away. He was here just two weeks back and he looked hale and hearty, though he had diabetes and he was very jolly and less than 60 years of age. Nobody would have ever thought that he will pass away, but it all happened so suddenly. So, it is so uncertain and for that uncertain life, what are the things that we need to pack? What are the things we need to drop? That is something that we should really ponder on and each one of us according to our own level of evolution and our own depth of understanding should make use of it to benefit our own selves. There is that famous quote which goes, you know, man lives like he's never going to die and he dies like he never lived. That is a tragedy of life. <laughs> and very true, you know, that is why uh, it really reflects your perspective on life itself. Mm. When you always think that I'm going to live till 80 and the idea is to fill this life of 80 years with security and pleasures is what governs most of our outlook. But the idea that this is a stopover, you know, this I'm 
am here to pick up something and I am here as a part of my journey, the kind of packing you will do will be different. Mm. You know, we think that this is the destination. We think that this is the time we are going to spend and we pack for it. I mean, you will not pack for being in an airport for three hours, will you? Exactly. I mean, if you know that you know, I am starting from some place and I am going to have a stopover in an airport and then I am going to go to my house where I have all my things, you will not pack for that three hours in the airport with two pieces of luggage. You know, I am reminded of a one minute nonsense that is called mm-hmm. a short story. It's not nonsense in any angle, but it's very short stories which give a lot of profound messages. So one such story was a man goes to a top of a hill and meets a yogi who is having a kind of a little hut there. And he comes and he says, sir, you have been here for how long? Mm-hmm. He says, I have been here for a decade. Then he says, um, is this all where you stay? He says, yeah, this, this is where I stay. Oh, where is the furniture? Where is where is your wardrobe? Where, where is everything, you know? You could have had all those. The hermit looks at him and he says, now you have come to stay here, right? He says, yeah. Where is your furniture? Where is your wardrobe? Where are they? He says, come on, you know, I am just a visitor here. <laughs> just so am I. You know, what we take as our feelings for a journey, that is how we must look at life also because life is a journey. You never know where it ends, how short the vacation is. Not in a negative sense, not in a pessimistic sense, but in an optimistic sense. We should use this knowledge so that we gather things that can stand by us beyond this journey also. Exactly, because you know, when Swami says less luggage, more comfort, it means you can enjoy your journey if you have less luggage. So it's not at all in a negative, pessimistic sense. It says that you are in this life. If you want to enjoy this life, which means you have to carry less luggage. You have to be a light traveler. Just have a backpack and you can really enjoy and, and live this life to the fullest. And when you collect also stuff in your backpack. Swami didn't say no luggage because you have to have some luggage. What is the luggage that we want to carry? Imagine you are told you go for a visit, you go to say a faraway place and you buy different things, you land back in your country and the customs or whoever, they say no, this is not allowed in our country, you can't carry it with you. Drop everything in the dustbin here, we'll destroy it, incinerate it, you can walk. What is the use of getting such things? You should get back such things which they can say, yeah, cleared, you can take it along with you and go back. What is the use of picking up things which we can't carry along after the journey is complete? I mean, that's a very, very beautiful analogy, Edwin, because you know, that's exactly what Swami says even in that Padyam, which he says that the only thing which you come into this world with is that Kantamala of Karma. And the only thing which you will carry forward is that. And your uh, garland of your actions. Your actions. Because you, you can say that, you know, I have been the Prime Minister of this country. I have been a businessman who has earned trillions of dollars. I have been a sportsman who has won five gold medals in the Olympics. But boss, you cannot carry anything forward after that. Uh, customs journey. after that journey after that customs of your death the only thing which you can carry is the thing which Swami says Sat Pravatana Sat Gunamlo only that you can carry forward your character your good, good, character, good qualities your learning your spiritual understanding and very true you know why would you buy things which you are going to just dump in the airport it happened to me you know because we had been to Thailand mm-hmm. so while going we were on an aircraft where you have to buy your own food Okay. so we had bought some food and we had to shift after we reached Mumbai we had to shift to another flight to go to Thailand and uh, when we reached Thailand it was announced that you know any food anything that you have drop it you will not be allowed you will not be allowed to carry it and that was the thing we had to throw away all the food and we just wondered why did we buy so much you know because it was one of the first experiences for me so I did not know about this even while returning from Thailand you know there were some stuffs that we had bought not much you can buy as a vegetarian there (laughs) let me say we had bananas you know we had a full bunch of bananas and as we reached the immigration they told there's a dustbin there, throw it. This juice, there's this bananas, they're all good. It's not even like juta, it's not even that you have eaten half. It's not been opened. Ha, it's, no, no problem. You give it to somebody or throw it. Makes you wonder why did you buy them in the first place. So, really, why buy something which you're not allowed to carry across after the journey? 
Yes, we come back to the journey that Vishwamitra and his disciples are making and they're leaving the Siddhashrama, right? That's yeah, and as about. they leave, it is going to be a very, very memorable journey because Vishwamitra relates to the princes many, many stories. Stories of his ancestry and stories of the ancestry of Lord Rama himself. We will come to that after we take this little break. Hold on dear listeners, something more interesting and nice coming up after this break. Shri
ಪಾಪ್ಯುಲರ್ ಸೇಜ್ ಅಂಡ್ ದ ಪ್ರಿನ್ಸಸ್ ಆರ್ ಆಲ್ಸೋ ವೆರಿ ವೆರಿ ಪಾಪ್ಯುಲರ್ ಅಂಡ್ ದೇ ಫೋರ್ ದೇ ರಿಸೀವ್ ವಿತ್ ಲಾಡ್ ಆಫ್ ವಾರ್ಮ್ ಎವ್ರಿವೇರ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಡ್ಯೂರಿಂಗ್ ದ ಜರ್ನಿ ದೇ ಹಾವ್ ಲಾಡ್ ಆಫ್ ಸತ್ಸಂಗ್ಸ್ ಬ್ಯೂಟಿಫುಲ್ ಸತ್ಸಂಗ್ಸ್ ವೇರ್ ಸೇಜ್ ವಿಶ್ವಾಮಿತ್ರ ನರೇಟ್ ಟು ದನ್ ಮೆನಿ ಮೆನಿ ಸ್ಟೋರೀಸ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಟೇಲ್ಸ್ ಒನ್ ಸ್ಟೋರಿ ದಟ್ ವಿಶ್ವಾಮಿತ್ರ ನರೇಟ್ಸ್ ವಿಚ್ ಇಸ್ ಇನ್ ಗ್ರೇಟ್ ಡೀಟೇಲ್ ಇಸ್ ಆಕ್ಚುಲಿ ದ ಸ್ಟೋರಿ ಆಫ್ ವಿಶ್ವಾಮಿತ್ರಾಸ್ ಲೀನಿಯೇಜ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಹಿಸ್ ಆನ್ಸಿಸ್ಟರ್ಸ್ ಹಿಸ್ ಫೋರ್ ಫಾದರ್ಸ್ ವಾಟ್ ಆಲ್ ದೇ ಡಿಡ್ ಬಿಕಾಸ್ ಯು ನೋ ಇನ್ ಆರ್ಡರ್ ಟು ಅಪ್ಟೇನ್ ಅ ಪ್ರಾಜಿನಿ ಆರ್ ಅ ಸನ್ ಲೈಕ್ ವಿಶ್ವಾಮಿತ್ರ ದ ಫ್ಯಾಮಿಲಿ ಮಸ್ಟ್ ರಿಯಲಿ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಡನ್ ಅ ಲಾಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಗುಡ್ ಇನ್ ದ ಪಾಸ್ಟ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಸೀಂಗ್ ದ ಬ್ಯೂಟಿಫುಲ್ ಅಂಡ್ ವಂಡರ್ಫುಲ್ ಪಾಸ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ವಿಶ್ವಾಮಿತ್ರ ಗಿವ್ಸ್ ಅನ್ ಐಡಿಯಾ ಆಸ್ ಟು ಹೌ ಗುಡ್ ಅಟ್ರಾಕ್ಟ್ಸ್ ಮೋರ್ ಗುಡ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಆಸ್ ಅ ಕೊರಾಲರಿ ದೋ ಇಟ್ ನಾಟ್ ಮೆನ್ಷನ್ ದೇರ್ ಈವಿಲ್ ಅಟ್ರಾಕ್ಟ್ಸ್ ಈವಿಲ್ ಸೊ ವೆನ್ ಯು ಆರ್ ಗುಡ್ ಯು ಆಲ್ಸೋ ಸೀಮ್ ಟು ಅಟ್ರಾಕ್ಟ್ ಗುಡ್ ಅಂಡ್ ದಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಒನ್ ಮೆಸೇಜ್ ದಟ್ ಕಮ್ಸ್ ಔಟ್ ಪಾರ್ಫುಲಿ ಫ್ರಾಮ್ ದ ಸ್ಟೋರಿ ಆಫ್ ವಿಶ್ವಾಮಿತ್ರ ಅಂಡ್ ಹಿಸ್ ಆನ್ಸಿಸ್ಟರ್ಸ್ ಮೋಸ್ಟ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಸತ್ಸಂಗ್ ಬಿಗಿನ್ ಲೈಕ್ ದೇ ವುಡ್ ವಾಕ್ ಪಾಸ್ಟ್ ಪರ್ಟಿಕ್ಯುಲರ್ ಪ್ರಾಸ್ಪರಸ್ ಕಿಂಗ್ಡಮ್ ಆರ್ ವೆರಿ ಹೋಲಿ ಪ್ಲೇಸ್ ಅಂಡ್ ದೆನ್ ದ ಬ್ರದರ್ಸ್ ವುಡ್ ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟ್ ಆಸ್ಕಿಂಗ್ ಟೆಲ್ ಇಸ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ದಿಸ್ ಯು ನೋ ದಿಸ್ ಸೀಮ್ಸ್ ಟು ಬಿ ಅ ವೆರಿ ನೈಸ್ ಪ್ಲೇಸ್ ಎಕ್ಸಾಕ್ಟ್ಲಿ ದಟ್ಸ್ ವೆನ್ ವಿಶ್ವಾಮಿತ್ರ ಸ್ಟಾರ್ಟ್ಸ್ ನರೇಟಿಂಗ್ ದ ಸ್ಟೋರಿ ಆಫ್ ಇಸ್ ಲಿನೇಜ್ ಬಟ್ ಇನ್ ಅ ವೆರಿ ಡಿಫರೆ
saying that you know there was this king who was the son of Brahma, his name was Kusha, and then Kushanabha and all that. Mm-hmm. And he starts narrating all these things, and then finally he says that they had a son, and he had uh, many daughters, and then then he got a son much later, and that son renounced his kingdom, and then finally he came and settled in the Siddhashrama in search of the ultimate peace. That is himself, right? Right, and then he says that Lord Rama, you came and you have saved this yagna, and because of you, I could attain the goal of my coming to Siddhashrama, and that's when the entire entourage realizes that Vishramitra is actually speaking about himself. He's mm-hmm. not speaking about anybody else. He is speaking about himself in the third in person. In the third person and in fact he is very much standing in that land which belongs to him. That country, that kingdom which belongs to him and which is ruled by him. But never once he says that this is my land and this is my country and this is my kingdom. No attachments. Right. Just reminded of a very beautiful incident which happens in the life of uh, the great uh, Kamavadani Garu. Oh, this is the Sai uh, Ramayana. Okay. Uh, from Swami's life, you know, the preeminent uh, Vedic scholar who is uh, the teacher for most of the elderly Vedic scholars here right now with Narin sir and the other senior teachers they've all learned from him mm. man who lived up to 100 years it seems once Swami was traveling to that East Godavari region you know, that's where all these Vedic scholars who come even for the Dashra Yagnim come from Okay, it's filled with you know, all these scholars once Swami was going to one particular village where Swami was supposed to go give a discourse and then have his lunch there and come back and to reach that place Swami had to drive past the village which was Kamavadani Garu's native village. Mm. Okay, so Swami was coming past that way. There was a small entourage of three or four cars. So Swami stopped at that particular junction where if you take a left, it's Kamadani Garu's village. If you go straight, it is that village to which Swami was heading to. Mm. So Swami stopped at the junction and Swami said, uh, Kamadani, this is your village has come. Why don't you go meet your people for some time, spend some time with your people, <laughs> you know, have uh, lunch with them. I will go finish my program and when I come back, I'll pick you again and I'll go. If I can interrupt you here, Prem, mm-hmm. I remember a Chinnakata that Swami often mentions to show how strong one's affiliations are towards one's place of birth and hometown. Okay. He speaks about a person who decided to give up the whole world and go to the Himalayas. Mm-hmm. He was basically from Andhra, I think. It's a story. Mm-hmm. He goes to the Himalayas, gives up everything and he's lost in meditation. And he's totally detached in his opinion. Okay. He feels that he's totally detached. He cares for nothing and that's how it has been and he feels no attachment towards anything. So that is when a busload of passengers arrives near where he is doing his meditation and he hears his mother tongue. And the first thing that comes is, oh God, this is Telugu. And Swami says, and he becomes so happy, he goes running to and you're from Andhra? Oh yes, you know, you know this place, you know that place, I'm from this place, oh next to that place. And so Swami says that, you know, it's easy to be detached in isolation, but the minute you get exposed to your mother tongue, your mother tongue and the place where you come from, you automatically get so happy and there the attachment comes back. And this is something that happens to all of us, you know, we feel great joy. Suppose if I go to a foreign land, this happened when I was traveling to Trinidad, mm-hmm. I met a person who came up to me and spoke to me in Kannada. I was simply thrilled at first <laughs> because, see, somebody speaks to you in Kannada in Andhra or Bombay or somewhere, it's okay. In Trinidad, in Kannada, somewhere near Trinidad, it was at Curaçao, I was so thrilled and excited, you know, that is the kind of attachment that we have towards mother tongue and the place of our birth, native place. And so it feels so natural that Swami plays on that attachment and it's natural that he told Kamadani Garu that why don't you go and, you know, meet your people and come back. Right. So that was the thing where Swami leaves him there and Swami tells him you take this car and go I'll take another car and go ahead. Mm. So Swami gets into the other car and goes and Swami goes there and gives a discourse and for some reason Swami doesn't stop there for lunch. Swami says I want to go back immediately and Swami comes back and on the way he's exactly at the spot where he left Kamaudani and there he sees a huge ruckus. This car is exactly where Swami left it and this old man is sitting right inside and that car is surrounded by all Kamaudani Garu's relatives and the people from the village and he is sitting stone 
brown faced not talking to anybody uh-huh. and okay. Swami comes there and he inquires around and uh, everybody saying that Swami we just came to know that you know, our father and our grandfather who he was he's here we all came to see him and invite him to our house but he is refusing to get out of the car and in fact he's not even talking to any one of us he's not even speaking to any of us and then Swami you know comes in and gets into the car and he says come on what happened why are you not going to your house and he is refusing to talk to Swami also oh he's upset with Swami he's so upset with Swami and he's not talking and he says what happened come on I told you to go and spend some time and have lunch with your family what happened then with tears in his eyes you know come on he tells Swami that Swami you said meet your people you said go and meet your people and he said how dare you say that Swami he said I've left everybody there is nobody who belongs to me I've come and you belong to me and I belong to you and you said go meet your people and he said Swami this is so unacceptable and you know this Swami was coming and asking what happened why are you upset he knew exactly what was going on here that is exactly why he skipped at lunch in that place where he was supposed to have lunch Swami comes back and Swami says not like that okay come we both will go and meet these people and Swami you know kind of calms him down and then Swami goes and has food in that village where Kamaudani is from and comes back while the natural takeaway from this episode is to show the grandeur of devotion of Kamavadhani, there's also another takeaway Prem which mm-hmm. is so beautiful that see because Kamavadhani Garu was so perfect in his love and devotion for Swami his whole family benefited because mm-hmm. now instead of their grandfather or father or uncle or whoever he was coming alone Swami now came along with him to all their homes see that is why it is said that having one devout person in the family benefits the whole family because that person's love for God and spiritual brilliance brings the grace of God onto everyone else simply by virtue of being part of the family. Absolutely. And I think Swami would have definitely driven that lesson home when he went to them also. It's because of him that I've come here. Mm. And I was just reminded of the way Vishwamitra was narrating his story with such dispassion and with such distance from the whole event. You know, another thing that I got reminded of when I was reading about how Vishwamitra narrated this story to the disciples was that the disciples get so excited and thrilled because you know, this is their Guru's story. Wow! How nice! How nice to get to know. Because till now, whatever they've got from their Guru is the Vedic lore, is the spiritual insights and wisdom and these are corridors in his memory that have been shut from them and it is only because of Lord Rama that he is narrating it. I transported myself to a very similar situation that used to happen in Swami's presence. Mm -hmm. Swami would give us nectarous discourses but very rarely would he speak about himself actually and it would be so thrilling to hear Swami speak about himself, about his childhood and therefore during some special sessions, possibly the 20th of October which is the Avatarhood Declaration Day or in some places, you know that is maybe the Stala Prabhavam, (laughs) the Stala Mahatyam, maybe in Kodaikanal or during a Thrai session. And one of the most important times would be the last day of a Samukos. I think many Samukos is the last day discourse which was specifically meant only for the students in closed doors in the auditorium would be about Swami's childhood. And you know again that's another reason you know during our 100 episode special satsang that we had we were speaking about how Swami's life is his message and just reading his life gives us so much inspiration. That would be the intent I think behind Swami narrating what his childhood was because Swami would never add any superlatives to what he did or anything. He would just narrate it as things happened. But listening to his story unfold as they happened in itself would fill us with so much inspiration and love that every time we would be keen and eager. In fact, if Swami used to ask sometimes, hey Matladali, what should I speak? Swami, speak about a childhood. Swami, tell us about a childhood. We were so eager and enthusiastic to know because it was such a source of inspiration and joy and that is what I felt that the disciples of Vishwamitra too would have enjoyed when they came to know that he was speaking about his own life history and the story of his ancestors and they would have been so eager. This was what I was reminded of when 
in Vishwamitra narrated his own life story. And in, in this journey, as you said, as they go along, a lot of stories are narrated, and you know, many of the upakathas of Ramayana actually happen here in the form of narration, which uh, Vishwamitra gives these two eager princes. And uh, a couple of those stories are very important because they are very uh, historic ones. They've many times been depicted in drama, even in front of Swami. One of those is the story of how the sacred Ganges came to be flowing on earth. And the other one is, of course, the story of Halya. Maybe that we should come to a bit later. I think we'll have to wait for that till the next. Exactly, Prem. So, I think there are three main Upakatas we are going to. One is about, as you said, the Ganga. The other is the churning of the ocean, where Amrita comes and how that is related to this. And, of course, bringing of Ganga is related here because it happened because of the ancestors of Lord Rama. And Ahalya's Upakata is also very, very important. It's not actually an Upakata. It is part of the Ramayana story. We will come to that. Possibly we could give a sneak peek to our listeners by playing that clip where Swami narrates in his discourse the three different women that Lord Rama meets during this phase of his life and what they signify and symbolize. <laughs> There are three qualities which become great obstacles during this age of That is the reason why Ramayana has been given the name of Trigunatmaka Sarupam. Motta Vadata, E. Ramanaku, Marga Majjanopala, Tataki, Yedurayani. The first person whom Rama came across on his way was Tataki. She represents Tamasika quality. This Tamasika quality confuses man in a number of ways. It tries to present truth as untruth, untruth as truth. It also takes away all the wisdom and discrimination. That is why he killed this demon, Tataki, who was representing Tamasika quality. He reached Siddhasrama. Guru Vanavari Admin Puraskarinchikoni, Yagna Samarchanakai, Samsidalayaru, Ramanachandu. They got ready for the protection of sacrifice, taking permission and blessings of their master, Vishwamitra. Tirigi Yagna Purti Kayu Tarabata, Vishwamitrudu, Midhilabram Chiskunapodanki, Taitin Chadu. After the sacrifice was completed, Vishwamitra wanted to take them to Mithilapura. Chindi. On the way, they came across the hermitage of Gautama. Akkada, Ahalya, Rajogunamu Tatastin Chindi. There they came across Ahalya representing Rajog quality. Rajogunamu Samharin Chaka, Tagen Nitivakyun Bodhinchi, Patito Chetchi, Nidilapuram Cherad. Without killing this Rajoguna, giving appropriate advice, he left her there and reached Mithilapura. Mithilapura Macharian Tarvata, Sattagunamu, Sattikamu, Yedrekin Chindi. When he reached Mithilapura, he came across Sattvaguna, Sattikaguna, Adiye Sita. And that was Sita. 
తామసికాన్ని సంహరించి ప్రజోగుణానికి బుద్ధి నేర్పి సాత్వికాన్ని స్వీకరించాడు శ్రీరాముడు శ్రీరామ కిల్డ్ తమోగుణ తోటకి అండ్ గేవ్ గుడ్ అడ్వైస్ రజోగుణ అండ్ దెన్ ఈ సాత్వికాన్ని స్వీకరించిన సమయం లోపల ఆ యొక్క మిథిలాపురం ఏ రీతిగా ఉంటున్నది that was a beautiful clip dear listeners and when swami was not only giving sneak peek into what is coming but also the important inner significance of those events of those three women whom lord rama encounters in this journey with vishwamitra and of course swami stops with that very very enticing statement where he says what was the reception rama and lakshmana received in mithila that will have to wait till the next night dear listeners as we said this is the point where uh, vishwamitra narrates a lot of upakathas we will try to bring out a few of those important ones on behalf of arvin on behalf of myself dear listeners we thank you for being with us and we offer this humble effort of ours at swami's lotus feet thank you jai sadam sai ram you just heard an episode of our radio program afternoon satsang this was a segment of radio sai's thursday live hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30 p.m. Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion was on the Ramakatha Rasavahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 24th July, 2014. Dear listeners, we hope you liked this program. As always, send us your feedback to listener at radiosai.org thank you and loving sairam from prashanthi nilayam